Prepare yourself for Earthling Entertainment with your hosts, Joe and Ryan. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Earthling Entertainment. I'm your host for the day, Joe Wakefield. Unfortunately, Ryan will not be able to join us. He's taking care of some personal matters, but don't you worry. He will be with us next week. And for now, well, you're stuck with me, which is why this episode is so joyfully titled, <laughs> I'm so alone. Yes, yes. So guys, I, uh, my wife and uh, we took our baby to uh, Motor City Comic Con which was last Saturday. And I, you know, I could proudly say that our child is less than one years old and he's already been to two comic book conventions. He, uh, he got to go to one earlier in the year that was much smaller, but he met the original Power Rangers. We have a nice photo of him with the Power Rangers. And then this time we got a photo with Doug Jones. Now he is uh, obviously an actor, but he's a contortionist. He does a lot of creature work uh you know him from star trek the new star trek discovery he plays saru uh the alien who is the science officer and but before that he played billy in the hocus pocus films he played the uh monster with the eyes in his hands the palm of his hands in pan's labyrinth and i believe he also played the fawn uh, he works with Guillermo del Toro a lot. That's why he played Abe Sapien in the first two Hellboy movies. So even if you don't know Doug Jones, you know Doug Jones. Great guy. Uh, and we know we know him because we've met him when we lived in L.A. I went to the uh, I went to the Los Angeles Film School. It's a great film school, and they happened to have a premiere there that my buddy co-starred in. It was called The Terror of All Hallows Eve, and. So his name is Caleb Thomas, and uh, he was actually stood up in my wedding. Very nice guy. Uh, did a bunch of stuff. Chase Champion, which was on Nickelodeon, and he did Lost in the West on Nickelodeon. Well, anyways, uh, he co-starred with Doug Jones in this film. Doug Jones played the villain, the trickster. So I got to meet him at that premiere, and boy, he was a nice guy. I have this uh, picture on my Facebook of him just like grabbing my head. So I, you know, anyways, I mentioned that. Uh, to him and he you know he remembered which is really nice we got him uh, to hold the baby well we asked if he would like to hold our baby and he did so we have our comic-con photo with uh you know him holding our baby it's very very cute and he's just such a nice guy uh we didn't do a lot of the celebrity stuff because you know it costs a lot of money and uh but i did get daniel panabaker's autograph she is the actress who played uh, in the Flash show, and she's also one of the final girls in the Friday the 13th made by Platinum Dooms in 2009, which is why I was interested, because I got her to sign my uh, DVD. I have a box set of all the Friday the 13th, and eventually I want to get all the final girls that, you know, I can get to sign the Blu-rays. So that's what I did. I got a selfie with her, too. It's a lot of fun. But uh, just comic book conventions in general, everybody's just so nice because whether it's, uh, you know, this kind of fandom or this kind of nerdy stuff or whether it's anime or whether it's, you know, Ninja Turtles, which is my thing or Superman or whatever it is, an obscure thing that no one's even heard of. There's someone at the con who has heard of it and they're just the nicest people. If you are into literally anything and there's a convention for your fandom, you have to go. Conventions are so much fun. One of the funnest ones I ever did was PantheaCon, which was in Northern California. I forget the city. And that was the, the Wiccan 
you know, festival. It was a, a convention for pagans, essentially. So there was a lot of, you know, blessed be solitary practitioners. There's a giant drum circle, you know, the horned god and goddess, uh, the whole nine yards. It was, that was, that was a really, really cool one. And then, like I said, I did WonderCon in L.A. I've done Stan Lee's Comic-Con in L.A. I've never gone to San Diego Comic-Con. Um, I've been to enough of them to know, though, I wouldn't enjoy that many people. I don't want my entire day to be waiting in line just to get into a hall to see a panel. And, you know, Hall H is infamous for that, where people will literally spend half of their con just trying to get in to see that the next big announcement. Uh, of course, you know, some of the advantages of it being the biggest con is that's where you're going to get the coolest exclusives from vendors. You're going to get the coolest celebrities coming. So it is it is a give or take. But you know what? Smaller cons have a lot of fun stuff, too. And like I said, uh, Motor City Comic Con is actually pretty big. Uh, Hopper was there, uh, David Harper from Stranger Things. Uh, Guillermo, who is in What We Do in the Shadows. That's his character name. I don't know offhand his actual name, so I apologize for that. Uh, the Weasley Twins. We're there from the Harry Potter franchise. You know, I believe we even had Chekhov from the original Star Trek. And that's just some. I mean, there's still plenty more. Uh, three people from the Flash Arrowverse were there, uh, besides Danielle. And, uh, yeah, great time. Our local artists were there as well. And I got this lovely mashup of the Ninja Turtles walking through the sewer. And they're coming across Pennywise the Clown. And uh, my wife got this one where it's Chucky fighting Chucky. So Chucky from the Rugrats, the redheaded baby, is running away from Chucky, the psycho killer doll, who's chasing him with a butcher knife. That's what we call fine art, people. That is what we call fine art. <laughs> so yeah, you know what? Go to conventions. There's another one coming up in, in the spring. And wherever you're at, just your nearest city probably has a convention. A lot of fun. All right, guys, so today's episode, like all our episodes of Earthling Entertainment, consists of two major sections. One is the scary, the spooky, the occult, the, the aliens, the monsters, the creatures, the legends. And, uh, you know, that is at the beginning. And then we follow it with our entertainment part, which normally consists of a game. But since Ryan isn't here, we will be skipping the game today. But we have our headlines and even our newest segment of, well, they're dead. So strap in and enjoy the show. And uh, here's our first segment, Spooky Stuff. Spooky Stuff. On this week's Spooky Stuff, we're going to talk about Wisconsin's own Boy Scout Lane. The story of what exactly happened at Boy Scout Lane varies, but they all end the same way. A group of Boy Scouts died on the road. In some stories... McDowell News reported there was a bus crash with no survivors, or they were murdered by a bus driver, or they're just mysteriously vanished into the woods one by one. That one's actually pretty creepy. I like that one. Visitors have reported seeing a swinging body in the trees, feeling as though they're being watched, or, and finding child-sized handprints all over their cars or equipment. So some very, very creepy stuff. And yeah, let's hear more from our buddy, Jim Jim. In the woods of rural Wisconsin, there is a lonely road that some say is haunted by the ghosts of Boy Scouts killed there many years ago in a tragic accident. Oh my god. 
A number of urban legends are associated with the road and people have reported seeing and hearing strange things there. Located in Portage County, Wiss, Boy Scout Lane is a dead-end road with no outlet. It is supposedly the site of some kind of accident that resulted in an entire scout troop getting killed. Dun dun dun! The place has been the subject of several paranormal investigations and young people often go there at night hoping to experience something spooky. And like many other haunted forests, the land surrounding Boy Scout Lane is privately owned and is off-limits to the public, according to a website. You know, for a robot, you're reading kind of flat. Over the years, folks living in Portage County have talked about the tragic accident that supposedly happened there. What? You're gonna say nothing? You're gonna ignore me? One version of the legend oh, holds oh, yeah, yeah. Keep on reading, it doesn't matter, whatever. The Boy Scouts camped out in the woods one weekend in the 1950s or early 1960s. One of them accidentally dropped a lantern that caused a forest fire which killed the entire troop, and their leaders vanished in the woods without any explanation. Well, that's just creepy. In most accounts, the Scouts are said to haunt the forest where they either died or vanished. They can be heard hiking through the undergrowth or their lights can be seen at night as they try in vain to find help. People who have ventured into the woods around Boy Scout Lane have reportedly experienced different kinds of strange phenomena. They supposedly feel a strong sense of foreboding or being watched. They hear the sound of footsteps or breaking branches coming from different directions. Sometimes, folks say they were surrounded by the weird sounds. Others have claimed to see unusual lights that either resemble swinging lanterns or flashlights. Ghostly buses or figures have been seen along Boy Scout Lane or in the nearby woods. <laughs> One website contains a first-person account from someone who went in search of ghosts along Boy Scout Lane. Four teens traveled out there one night and heard weird whistling noises. They also saw a light in the forest that disappeared and reappeared as it moved through the trees. Then the teens heard something hit their car very hard. As you can imagine, they got out of there in no time. When the teens got home, they noticed something very disturbing on the car's passenger side window. They found fingernail scratches on the glass. <laughs> the person reporting this on the website states emphatically that this could not have been caused by tree branches. No kidding. Those are some of the legends associated with Wisconsin's Boy Scout Lane. Thank you, Jim Jim. So for those of you who don't know, Jim Jim is a magical robot who lives in my office. And uh, he's going to randomly read things. Not anymore on this episode. That's it. Because, you know, no one wants to listen to a robot that much. But. I thought I'd let it, I'd use him for this segment. Thanks, Jim Jim. All right, so, Boy Scout Road, Wisconsin. Ah, uh, you know, I, the bus driver murdering all the kids, that, that makes sense, right? You know, we have that story, and yeah, I have a lot of questions there, right? Like, what, what he just pulls over? Because, like, 30 kids, they could take down a bus driver, right? I mean, that bus was probably full. You know, even if it's, like, 10 kids, 10 10-year-olds should be able to take down a bus driver. You know, just saying. I feel like that that might have a flaw. Uh, the bus, you know, exploding or crashing, that's probably the most realistic, even though the article says that there's no reports. Hey, man, you know how these things work in small towns. The government, the cops, they don't need to know. So, you know, maybe this is happening. Maybe, maybe there was a tragic Boy Scout thing. My favorite really is them wandering into the woods one by one and disappearing. Because that, that's all kinds of fun stuff. That's like, oh, are they going to a different dimension or a different planet? Were they abducted by aliens? Is it a Stargate? Is it a Pernell universe? Is, is it just someone abducting them? Is it uh, the devil that's luring them in? Is it witchcraft? Is it monsters? Is it Windigo? I mean, there's a lot of 
fun stuff you can do with that. So if you're going to go super monster route, I like that, you know, and that just feels like as a screenwriter, there is the most opportunity for story. I could, I could go on for weeks just talking about various reasons why these kids would wander into the woods and disappear one by one and not even talk about any of the gross real life creepy sexual stuff no 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 no. all supernatural murders and fantastic stuff that's that's what we're doing here so yeah boy scout lane in wisconsin that's one of the cooler the cooler urban legends i think we're gonna you know leave it at that but yeah if you're ever in wisconsin and you want to see creepy children ghosts, which, you know, God knows has got to be the freakiest ghosts. I'm serious. If I see a full-body apparition and it is a, an adult, it's going to be scary. If I see, like, the little two twins from The Shining and they're talking, come play with us, and they're talking to us, yeah, that's creepier. Which is why, you know, The Walking Dead, the first episode started with a zombie child. Children being undead or dead or ghosts or creepy. That, that is a full level of awesomeness as far as horrors are concerned. So, yeah. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Well, because I like you guys, we're going to do another spooky stuff. This one's a little short, fun one. So, yeah. In Mississippi, there is a Deer Island. And Deer Island apparently has a fun ghost story. So... The ghost of Deer Island originates from an old pirate story. According to the pirate story, there was a ship that sailed into the bay and buried its treasure on Deer Island. The crew decided to behead one of their own and left the body behind to guard their treasure. Ooh, spooky stuff. That's what we like here. All right, and this is uh, added on to it. There is a story. Back in the 1920s, two men were fishing on Deer Island when they heard rustling in the bushes, a noise they assumed was coming from wild hogs. Eventually, they decided to check it out, and then they encountered a headless skeleton. Oh, my God. So they're running on the headless skeleton. They ran back to their boat, and that skeleton followed them the entire way, which, you know, we could presume is the spirit of the pirate who was beheaded to guard the treasure. So here's my thoughts. Scary skeleton running around. Definitely an issue. But it doesn't have a head. How dangerous could this be? And they describe it as a skeleton, not a corpse. Like, it's a zombie, right? Like, if, if it was a zombie, zombies bite you, and that's bad, you become a zombie. But a skeleton isn't a zombie. A skeleton is a skeleton, and there's no head. Does it wield weapons? Does it have swords? Does it have old muskets? Even then, old muskets aren't that big of a deal, right? You just got to avoid the first shot and then run away as they're trying to reload. I don't know. I like pirate stories. This does feel very Pirates of the Caribbean. I feel like we can hit up Johnny Depp, he's probably not busy right now, and do another Pirates of the Caribbean, because this story you could just elaborate on, right? There could be a whole backstory to these pirates as to but what they did before they got there to Deer Island, and then why they chose the person they chose to behead. Like, was that guy a loyal, you know, pirate? Did he volunteer? Or was he just, you know... Fuck Greg, let's just chop off his head. He's, he's pretty much useless. Maybe he can guard the treasure. And it's like, how exactly does that work? Did the pirates put some kind of ancient voodoo Caribbean curse on the on the bones to be like, you know, hey, you have to serve this purpose. You have to guard this treasure. Because otherwise, 
why would the ghost guard the treasure? I mean, he got beheaded for that job. I, I assume he didn't want to be beheaded. So what's going on there? Was he like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll guard this treasure, but, you know, I want my descendants to get a cut when we finally bury, uh, unbury it. I don't know. A lot of questions. A lot of questions with pirate skeletons who happen to not have a head. But, you know, Headless Horseman, really good story. And, uh, well, I should say, Sleepy Hollow and the Headless Horseman is a good myth. You know what I mean? Like, I, I enjoyed the Tim Burton film. I enjoyed other aspects of it. It's been parodied a hundred times over. But the actual story, I'm getting a little off topic, but I want to say it. The actual story of Sleepy Hollow is so boring. I read it. It's a short story. And, like, I swear to God, he talks, or the author talks for like 20 minutes about like the drapes in somebody's home. The actual getting, you know, running from the Headless Horseman is a very small, short part of this story. He is, oh my God, it was very boring. But, you know, the concept. Headless villains. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> All right, guys. So that'll be it for this week's spooky stuff. Hope you enjoyed it. Coming up next is our newest segment. Remember that guy? Remember that gal? Well, now they're dead. All right, guys. Well, I'm happy to say we only have one celebrity death this week. Uh, Janet Landgard, the actress, has died at 75. So Janet Landgard, who starred in the 1968's The Swimmer alongside Burt Lancaster and played Paul Peterson's love interest for three seasons on The Donna Reed Show, has died. She was 75. Peterson shared the news of his co-star Leningard's death on Facebook, noting that cancer took her life earlier this week. He added that Leningard was the best TV girlfriend my alter ego, Jeff Stone, ever had on the last three years of the Donna Reed show. Janet was gorgeous, inside and out. We were always close no matter the time or distance. She will be missed. Now, I uh, am sad to say I don't know Janet Langard offhand. I don't remember her from her work. I didn't watch either of those shows. You know, forgive me, it was from the 60s. And, you know, I was, I'm, I'm a little older, but I'm not that old. I was born in the 80s, you know. I'm in my late 30s, so I missed that one. But that being said, if you're a fan of her, you know, uh, it, it's very sad. And I'm sorry that you lost a, uh, someone that you admired. You know, it really sucks when celebrities die. I remember Robin Williams hit me really hard because I loved Ron Williams uh, stuff from the 90s when I was a kid growing up. You know, Flubber, Mrs. Doubtfire, then we had Aladdin. So that one that one resonated with me. And if this person, if Janet Langard resonates with you, then, hey, my feelings go out to you and I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sure her family is is in mourning and we're really sorry to hear it. And she will be missed, if not by me, by others. And, you know. All respect to someone who had a great career and presumably a great life. It doesn't say here she went to jail or stabbed anyone, so I'm going to assume she also had a good life. All right. Janet Leningard, you will be missed. Earthling Entertainment Headlines. James Gunn says Superman Legacy still on track for its 2025 release date, despite the strikes. This comes to us from Deadline. James Gunn is finally talking about the developments at DC Studios after SAG-AFTRA struck a deal with the studios following a prolonged strike. Despite the WGA and SAG-AFTRA halting Hollywood for months, 
James Gunn says his first DC film of the new universe he's constructing with Peter Saffron, Superman Legacy, will make its original target date of July 11th, 2025. And we have a quote here. Thanks to the efforts of our talented crew, who never lost faith during the longest strikes in Hollywood history, and who never let their foot off the pedal, continuing to barrel forward, creating the most amazing character and set designs I have ever seen in my entire career, Superman Legacy will be making its original planned release date of July 11th, 2025. Gun shared on threads. Uh, yeah, and just so you know, threads is like Twitter, except it's owned by Instagram. So if you're sick of, you know, Twitter or X, uh, yeah, get, get a thread. Superman Legacy tells the story of Superman's journey to reconcile his Kryptonian heritage with the human upbringing as Clark Kent of Smallville, Kansas. He is the embodiment of truth, justice, and the American way, guided by human kindness in a world that sees kindness as old-fashioned. Love that quote. So that's how James Gunn has been describing his film from the beginning. So Superman, true to form, you know, if you like Guardians of the Galaxy or Slither or any of his other stuff, he, uh, and you don't know if he would work for, you know, Superman, he's come out and said that, hey guys, just because I have a style in these other films doesn't mean that's how I would tell a Superman story. So he's promising us, you know, Superman at his, at his core, nothing, nothing weird, nothing creepy. I don't, I, I mean, I'm sure there'll be jokes. He's a funny guy, but we're not going to get a talking raccoon in this one, unless there's a Superman villain who happens to be a talking raccoon. And I just don't know about it, which is very possible because as big of a comic book fan as I am, I've never been a huge Superman fan, at least in the comics. You know, I've watched, I watched some of the shows. I saw a few episodes of Smallville uh, I liked the Superman and the Arrowverse, but, you know, surprisingly, because of the Arrowverse, I might know more about uh, Superman's cousin, uh, Kara, you know, I might know more about Supergirl than I do about Superman. But I love James Gunn. I love the fact that he's helming a whole new DC universe. I mean, that's something that I don't know if everyone realizes. I mean, if you follow film news, you probably do. But if you just are a casual viewer of movies, you might not know the whole DCU is being rebooted. Uh, everyone's pretty much out. Gal Gadot, there'll be there'll be no more uh, Wonder Woman. There's going to be no more, I believe, Aquaman has one movie coming out. I know Shazam's probably not going to be in it. There are some people moving over to the new universe, but for the most part, no. Uh, Blue Beetle, uh, that character is going to be in the new DCU. Technically, while that film wasn't the first one in the new universe, the character was the first character revealed that's going to be in the new universe. And if none of this makes sense, just remind yourself that it's multiverse shenanigans. Don't worry about it. We're rebooting it because it stopped making money. That is the, that is, that's what's going on. All right. Uh, yeah. So next Nintendo is finally making a live action legend of Zelda movie. This comes to us from entertainment weekly. Hyrule is going to Hollywood. Nintendo announced last Tuesday that it is developing a live-action The Legend of Zelda film centering around everyone's favorite sword-wielding blonde hero from the iconic video game franchise. Nintendo and Sony are co-producing the movie. The Maze Runner filmmaker Wes Ball is set to direct. Zelda has long been one of Nintendo's most beloved franchises, stretching all the way back from its original 1986 game. 
Rumors of a Zelda film have been swirling around for years, especially after the release of the two recent blockbuster games, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. But nothing has come to fruition. Back in 2015, Netflix was reportedly developing a live-action Legend of Zelda television series, but that never materialized either. Now, Nintendo is officially moving forward with Shimiro Matahoa. I'm going to try that one last time. Hold on. His name is Shigeru Miyamoto. That's right. Shigeru Miyamoto and Avi Erd serving as producers. Miyamoto wrote in a social media that he and Erd have been working on the live action film project for many years now, explaining that Nintendo is heavily involved in the production. It will take time until the it is complete, but he hopes that you are all looking forward to seeing it. Nintendo is notorious for being protective of its franchises, especially since the ill-received uh, 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie that was released in theaters. But earlier this year, Universal released a new Mario movie, which was animated and starring Chris Pratt, and that made over uh, $1.36 billion worldwide. I believe it also made it to the third highest animated film uh, ever, as far as uh, gross is concerned. So far, details are scarce on what the Legend of Zelda movie might look like, or who might star in it. Since 1986, there has been more than 25 different games in the series, usually uh, usually concerning Link, our hero, saving Zelda from the villain Ganon, and uh, using the Master Sword to do so. So yeah, we could safely assume the movie is going to take a similar story. Personally, I hope they uh, they adapt Ocarina of Time, and I know that's a very, it's an old game now, you know, that came out when I was in middle school on Nintendo 64. So, you know, Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild is probably more likely going to be the setting of this movie. Uh, you know what else would be cool is kind of if they didn't follow any game in particular and just had another adventure with Link, Zelda, and Ganon, because each one of these games, even though there is technically three timelines, that uh that the zelda games encompass uh but i just think it'd be cool if they do an original game because most of the games if you're not in the know just come off as a self-contained story very i mean except for the direct sequels very little of them kind of have similarities besides the characters and the master sword and what have you so yeah a live action zelda movie would be awesome i mean i'm reminded of lord of the rings and any of these epic fantasies, and it's been a while, and personally, since there's been an epic fantasy. The Green Knight came out, uh, A24 did that a few years ago, and that was a pretty cool fantasy. It was definitely darker, um, and I don't know, it just didn't get the publicity that a lot of these films do, simply because A24 is an independent studio, probably didn't put much into marketing, plus that film is, let's just say, not for everyone. So, yeah, are you looking forward to the new Legend of Zelda film? I know I am. I know, as a fact, Ryan will be. So, you know, I guess we'll all just have to wait and see. Uh, since it's live action and not animated, oh, man, I, you know, depends on how big the budget's going to be. Are they building full sets? Are they doing it all on green screen? So I can't guess how long this would take, but I'd say at least two years. I can't imagine we would, we're going to see this film until early 2026, but that is just... My projection, based on what I know in the film industry, uh, they don't actually say in this article. 
All right, guys, I got to be honest. This is what I consider the best headline of the day. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles get a commemorative manhole cover at the spot of their creation. This comes to us from Entertainment Weekly. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles may invoke the stylized and smoky, ruinous streets of New York City, or maybe just the sewers in general, but Dover, New Hampshire doesn't want to be forgotten in the conversation. The city unveiled a pair, uh, a pair of commemorative markers honoring the crime-fighting sewer dwellers last Wednesday, including a too-perfect commemorative manhole cover designed by TMNT co-creator Kevin Eastman. The unveiling coincides with the 40th anniversary of the Turtles, which were created in 1983 and made their debut in a one-shot comic one year later. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles first came out, the, the issue was really the only story they thought they would tell, which is why in that first issue, Shredder is introduced, he's explained their origin story, and also Shredder is defeated. Their archenemy is defeated because, well, they didn't think they'd be doing more of them. So there is, uh, if you want to find it on X, the city of Dover, New Hampshire, uh, tweeted, I, I keep saying tweeted, because what do I say, exited? They ex they ex-posted? I see, tweeted just works better. Anyways, the city of Dover, New Hampshire tweeted a uh, picture of it, and it looks really cool. It's got the classic four turtles uh, standing on a rooftop and then surrounded by various words. Let's, uh, it's very beautiful. I, I definitely think that. And I'm a huge fan of Ninja Turtles, if you guys didn't already know, which anyone who knows me or has heard this podcast probably is pretty aware of. Eastman and co-creator Peter Laird are often associated with their Northampton Mass-based Mirage Studios. However, they got their start in New Hampshire and first created the Quartet of Mutants while living together on Dover's Union Street. The city celebrated the creation with a state highway historical marker on Central Avenue and a decorative manhole cover outside 28 Union Street. The house where the characters were created and dreamed up unfortunately has since been destroyed, but the street-level marker outside the former residence will be a constant reminder that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were first born above these sewers. That is awesome. All right, so the uh, there's a better picture of the commemorative manhole cover, and I could actually read the words. It says 28 Union Street, Dover, New Hampshire. Yeah, that makes sense. 1984, birthplace of Eastman and Laird's The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wow, that is really cool. You know, I it, I never had a reason to go there, but if I do, I'm checking this out. I'm going to take a picture. Now it's like a spot, right? It's I don't think New Jersey was a great place until, uh, excuse me, I don't mean New Jersey, the state, but like where uh, Leonardo, wherever the quick stop is, is what I mean to say. Kevin Smith's from there, and he made that spot famous. He has, in the surrounding cities, he has his comic book store. He has a movie theater. Well, now I can go see where the Ninja Turtles were born. Granted, I'm just going to be looking at a sewer. Yeah, I really wish that house wasn't destroyed. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter, right? It's just an old house, and, you know, you'd look at it and be like, that's where it was created. But, I mean, people visit Graceland after Elvis is dead, and that's just a house. Granted, it's a very nice house. I don't know. Maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't. It's Anyways, it's a very, very cool thing. And the highway marker they do not have a picture of, but I imagine that is also pretty cool. Our next story is, in a weird way, kind of, sort of related. Although not related at all. Anyways, New York City. Green slime? Question mark. 
New Yorkers puzzled by sludge oozing into city streets. This comes to us from Fox, Detroit. Uh, oh, yeah, Fox. Okay, guys, don't watch Fox News, just in general. I, I just don't, just don't do it. It looks like a scene straight out of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Fluorescent green liquid oozing from manholes and sewers into New York City streets and sidewalks. The slime, or sludge, as some have labeled the mysterious liquid, was captured by Daniel Pantaiello this week in a viral X post. All right, so he tweeted it. And the picture, it's amazing, guys. It, it looks like a it's overflowing with like antifreeze it's it's fluorescent as hell it is really green it look it looks like some slimer like you know the ectoplasmic goo from the ghostbusters that was spilled out that's what it looks like not the pink stuff from the movie but like the green stuff Ugh, it's crazy so there's a uh, green slime bubbling out from the ground and the world trade center right now like right in front of it that's what the caption reads People are walking through it casually. Sometimes a small crowd gathers around to stare at it, but no one really pays that much attention and quickly moves on. There are a bunch of posts, uh, a bunch of pictures, and all this other stuff. So, this isn't the first time New York streets looked like an aftermath of Spider-Man vs. Green Goblin's showdown. I don't really get that one, that's... I don't remember Green Sludge and Spider-Man. Come on, guys. You could have used a Ghostbuster reference like I just did. <sighs> Reported when a similar goo infiltrated a Brooklyn subway station back in March. Fortunately, the city didn't need to call the Ghostbusters. Oh, well, there you go. The likely source is uh, not radioactive, and it's not going to mutate anyone. It is probably just dye dye that plumbers and other city workers might put in the water to detect leaks and other times that the uh, drainages aren't going where they should go. So that makes sense. They follow the color. All right. You know, that is a good explanation, but the picture is so fluorescent. It doesn't look like when Chicago dyes the river green in order to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. It looks like what highlighters come from. So... I mean, nobody's gotten hurt, so we're going to assume that there's not some nefarious plan here where we actually are mutating people or something, you know. It probably is harmless because by now you assume people would be getting sick. Uh, but it is weird looking. Only in New York, right? A city that old, uh, as far as the United States is concerned, it's got to have weird plumbing stuff. What did they say a few years ago? Alligators are in the sewer. There's abandoned subway where there's a whole cities of homeless people. Like, come on, man. There's so much going on in New York, and now apparently ooze. One could only hope that it is actually from TGRI, and it is actually ooze that will mutate some form of baby turtles, and we could finally have the heroes we deserve in the real, uh, in the real world. My God, that's the dream. And that will be our final headline. And it's actually the end of the show. So, you know, I know this one was a weird one. Having, having uh, the random robot was a silly idea. I wanted to play around. I wanted to have some fun. I don't normally do this by myself. So, you know, we were experimenting a bit, enjoying the freedom and the day, and I hope you enjoyed it with us. Next week will be our normal episode with our host, Ryan. Thank God he will join me and we can have a fun back and forth. 
And uh, that's pretty much it for today. Uh, Stay tuned for a little fun thing that we're about to do. But beyond that, here we go. Thanks for listening to Earthling Entertainment. When I was in the Los Angeles Film School, we had a uh, project which was basically create a story with sound. See if you can tell a narrative using only sound. And, you know, mixed results as far as the class was concerned. But I figured, hell... I'll just throw it at the end of this episode. If you like it, awesome. If you don't, I'll see you next week. Either way, enjoy. The Pennsylvania train crash of 1962 was one of the most devastating tragedies of the 20th century. The train was derailed at 2.47 p.m. after hitting a grizzly bear that ran across the tracks. For years, we were unable to guess what happened that day. That is... Until now. After decades, an eyewitness to the incident has finally come forward. John Harris, a blind mute, did his best to share his story. What you're about to witness are the events of July 17, 1962, through the eyes of John Harris. Remember, the dude is blind. Jerry, you hit a blind guy. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. We gotta call 911. Are you crazy? We can't call the cops. You forget we're selling weed out of this truck? Well, what are we supposed to do then? Ah, screw it. Let's throw him down the storm drain. Two hours and nine miles downstream later.
that's how it went. John Harris just missed the train, but the bear, well, the bear got flattened and is gross and there's blood and there's guts and there's everywhere and it's really disgusting. And the train derailed and a lot of people died. But John Harris is okay. And that's the important thing. Check out our other podcast, Tattered Tales. Tattered Tales is an anthology show, much like Black Mirror or The Twilight Zone. Each episode is a self-contained story of horror, suspense, fantasy, or comedy. Either way, it's going to be a good time. Check out Tattered Tales wherever you find your podcasts.